everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and today, instead of talking about shiny new things like we often do, we're going to get into our Wayback Machine and reminisce over the things that we miss about old bikes and gear. Now, I stole this topic from Seb Stott's op-ed last week, and it went over pretty well. I think that thing has like almost 500 comments or something, but Seb's not here today. So anyways, thanks for the idea, Seb. Casimir is here, though. Kaz, we're going to be mostly positive later on in the show, so I want to balance things out by asking you, what component did you break or maybe just have the most trouble with way back in like the early 2000s era? Like I'm thinking like bottom brackets and chain guides. What, what, did, you, what did you break most? Uh, well, there was a time where a lot of frames would break. I felt like I would break a, like a frame would break every season, not catastrophically, luckily, but it would always end up with hairline cracks by the end of a season. I'd have to get a new one like all the time. So that was annoying. And then rims, like there used, there was an era where some of those, especially those older DT Swiss rims, was it the 601 that was made of Swiss cheese? Like they would just be, it would just take a few days and they would turn into squares and then a new shape after that. And so, yeah, I think like rims and frames, obviously this is back in the era of like jumping off stairs onto flat pavement. So some things were expected, but I don't think components are as durable. So those are two yeah. things I definitely went through. Yeah, exactly. Henry's here as well. Henry, what did you have the most trouble with back in the day? Um, oh, um, I think there was a phase where, hmm, maybe it's a phase that's still ongoing a bit, but bikes that would like kind of twist and always like scar shock bodies, like shock shafts. I used to get that quite a oh, bit. Yeah which I was never really, I mean, you know, you see some bikes, I mean, we talked about it recently, it still happens now, where the reason they come with a big overbuilt air shock is just because they would just butcher a coil. But I felt that used to happen, even on like bigger air shocks, you'd often just get scouring from, from flex maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And CSUs as well. It felt like you do one season and your CSU would be creaking like nobody's business. Now, I think they're a bit better. Hey, I, I, I feel that, it's not something I personally suffer from too much. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing. Yeah, it used to be so much better. I think. Yeah, I. I mean, I remember four crowns. Rarely would a four crown not creak. Like mm-hmm. if you were riding, if you if you had a group of people, three or four buddies that you rode with, there was definitely a couple creaky four crowns in there. But I don't know. I guess they figured out the overlap and the bonding and all that stuff. And we don't even see who used to do hitcast. Who used to do one piece four crowns, X Fusion and. Oh. Owens did it for a bit and I think they went back to a press fit style if I'm not mistaken yeah 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 I think so yeah problem solved um Kaz you said you were breaking some frames what were you breaking most of what were you having most trouble with like which company or yeah what type like I know you had an RM6 or an RM7 that you loved but yeah all of the RM7s that I yeah all the other RM7s that I had broke but that's because I think the leverage ratio is crazy and the shock I remember I had like a 600 weight spring on there and I was like not any heavier than I am now. I feel like something was weird with that leverage ratio. And then the, like the main junction, all the bearings would always go. And like that, the bike was super fun. And for the time it was great, but looking back, it really, really shouldn't have been breaking on me, but it's mostly like where the shock mount, the forward shock mount, it would always just crack around there. Yeah. And, but I, we, yeah. Should, we should say this is like 2000 three four five six in that era so this is a long time ago we're like way in the way back machine so yeah yeah you reminded me of my biggest headache from back in the day kaz and it's bent and broken shock bolts i think we Mm -hmm. go back to a time 
if you go back, I don't know, maybe a little more than 10 years ago, I don't know if they like had the technology to like shape shock mounts to make them like slimmer or something. But you remember how every bike had like huge long shock mounting bolts and then these aluminum spacers, you would slide over the bolts. And of course, like these were like M5 bolts, maybe like they are not made for us to be bottoming out off 15 foot drops to flat in 2003. So they would basically all bend or break. So shock hardware for me is, I think, one of the things that I used to have the most trouble with. Terrible. What about, what about axles? You ever break, like remember quick release axles? How you'd end oh, up just, you'd break, you'd break the quick release axle and then you replace it with a solid yeah. through axle. Like not even a through axle, just a solid yeah. axle that bolted onto your frame because the quick release axles. I remember breaking a quick release axle. I think it was at the top of Porcupine Rim and Moab. It broke and I could feel the rear wheel was super wiggly. So I just cranked the quick release down as tight as I could and then just rode the rest of the trail with it just jammed together. And it worked because it broke evenly, but it was probably not safe. Yeah, Kaz, that's exactly what I was going to say. I remember being on rides and like all of a sudden knowing something was wrong, grabbing my rear wheel and kind of wiggling it back and forth and being like, well, it's, it'll be okay as long as I don't take the wheel out. <laughs> if I take the wheel out, then I'm really <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then obviously also bottom brackets and chain guides. Henry, do you remember tubes? I was, I pretty much was straight into owning mountain bike for a couple of years with tubes. Because I was super early on tubeless as well. And I find it mad that people still still champion tubes, right? But hey, yeah, no, thank God. Thank God that's over. Yeah, no, that's we don't need that in our life anymore. And now when I get a flat and I have to put a tube in, very rarely do I get out of the bush without flatting that tube that I installed mm. because I don't know how to ride tubes anymore. I just... You know what I mean? <laughs> that's when I do my like wheel testing and rim testing is when I flat. And I'm just like, riding come with a rim... There is no way I'm getting covered in sealant coming out of there looking like I've been painting, decorating. I'm just right over the rim, eh? <laughs> you still don't carry a tube. <laughs> no, well, I actually started and then it self-ejected the other day because, in fact, Kaz, you wrote an op-ed about it ages ago. We've all got these second mounts for spares and no one makes the, 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 the holders, you know? And so I had one like Velcroed onto my frame, yada, 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 and it ejected and I was like, I've made my peace with it. I'm just, uh, yeah, I hate, oh, I hate changing anyway. And I hate carrying tubes and crap. Yeah. yeah. What about a tire plug, Henry? Do you carry tire plugs? Uh, or that takes no, like one second. I don't, I never, I don't really have that much, um, much success, success with them. The best thing is just an insert and you can just ride at home, uh, whatever. And when I haven't got inserts in, I just, I just say a little prayer and just go out riding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it, but teach their own, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on to questions. Kaz, this one's for you. This one's about uh, motor mounts. You wrote that thing that SRAM bought a German company that does e-bike motors. Uh, and this guy here, he says, I can't even pronounce his name, but his question is, unless SRAM starts producing frames, I wouldn't be surprised if a motor mounting standard appears in the next few years where customers can buy aftermarket motors. So basically he's alluding to like one motor mounting standard. Personally, I think that's pretty freaking optimistic, Kaz. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, we've seen the track record with standards in the mountain bike industry. I don't know. I, I guess that'd be cool. But even right now, it's pretty hard to actually buy an aftermarket motor from anybody at the moment. So um, even if you needed like a replacement for a 
for one. So yeah, I don't know. I don't see that happening. It'd be cool if it did. I mean, it would just make sense, but I don't know if, if uh, manufacturers are going to want to kind of constrain themselves to that one standard if they have some new thing coming out. But yeah, it's optimistic. It'd be cool if it obviously I'd be a fan of that. More interchangeability, more serviceability would be great, but um, these things don't seem to always work out. Yeah, that would, would be great. But at the same time, I don't see any of these companies being like actively making an effort to making it easier for somebody to put a different company's motor on the bike. You know what I mean? Like that's not on anybody's agenda, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like cars, like, it, like motor mounts on a car. They're kind of designed for that one engine. They don't typically just bolt right in easily. As far as I know, I don't know about cars, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah, not so much. You are you are 100 percent correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about stems. We always joke about hard hitting stem reviews. Kaz and Henry, the flow kit. The flow kit. He says, I think a stem is one of the few components that, aside from maybe weight, truly has no effect on a bike's performance. So I wanted to ask you guys: Have you ever had any issues with a stem? Have you ever broken a stem or anything like that? I've had, um, you know, you you say that they're all the same, and then you ride one that Michael Levy buys you for four dollars off eBay, and you you <laughs> you feel different. Like I my, my friend, I'm never gonna hear the end of fucking budget versus baller. <laughs> no, that was like I I didn't know how I felt riding that, which is stupid because you know I mean I don't know I don't know the, the constraints that other stems are built to, but my friend had one that he got off a. Um, you know, direct order website for like three dollars, and the creaking that came out of it was like nothing else. Oh, what about yeah, you I think that's the only thing I've had. It's like creaky, creaking stems. I remember seeing some broken Thompson faceplates years ago, like a long time ago. But uh, nowadays, it's rare. I don't really think about stems. Like, I don't buy them off of Alibaba, but I think most stems I haven't seen. I have heard of certain time. designs though that, in terms of their torque settings, are a bit off, and you can rotate the bars. Have you ever had that? I haven't personally, but I have heard that too. Yeah. Um. We've, we've had a couple stems that if you had the torque set like bang on, they wouldn't twist. But when you're on the trail, you need to like change your head or tighten your headset or you do something or other. And of course it's user error if you're, if you're not using a torque wrench, but I've definitely had some problems with stems twisting in the mm. past when I thought they definitely shouldn't have. Uh, the brand disagreed with me though. And I think we just, we agreed to disagree on that one. Um, yeah, for me though, like I just don't want the bolts to like take big chunks out of my knees. That's you, all I want. Do you, you know? guys use torque wrenches though? What's, what's your take on this? Especially with, cause like carbon bars and stuff, I just, I just, yeah, wait till it snaps them back off half a turn. Are you guys doing something similar? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a little, only because it's convenient. So I should, I'll preface it by saying that, like I have these little preset torque wrenches. I think they're from Bontrager. Mm-hmm. And I use those just because they're handy, um, whatever Newton meters they're set to. But also not all the time. I'll admit that for sure. You guys? Yeah. Yeah, you guys? I use them for, yeah, I use them for the stem and that's pretty much it. Like even the, even the controls, I don't use a torque wrench because I keep them loose enough that it, I wouldn't even hit the torque that they're supposed to go to usually. Like I keep them so if I crash, they move. Mm. So yeah, it's more yeah. for, I'd say stems is where I do take it out just because that's the part I don't want to like crack a handlebar or whatever. You clearly don't grab your brakes as hard as I do because when the fear sets in, my brakes are going to loop the loop round and round. 
<laughs> he's just leaning back so far the levers are pulled out. <laughs> Pretty much. Hey, you you guys know what I have coming? What's that? I have one of those Mythos 3D printed titanium stems. Oh wow, that's gonna transform your writing. That's yeah, totally game changer. I sense sarcasm <laughs> in your voice there, asshole. No, I mean yeah. just... you could put things in it though. Isn't it kind of like you could like stick like flowers and stuff inside the little holes? Yeah, I could store stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it looks cool. We'll see. Obviously, it's not going to make a difference on the trail, but when stems are that short, like it's not like you notice flex or anything. So, but it looks cool. So, well, that's the thing that Team Sky yeah. did. Hey, was they were like the first road team to actually not make road riders choose a 10, 10 mil increments. And they made stems at like one mil increments because they were like, we know what size you need. We know what size bike you ride. And obviously they ride like, you know, it's like three and a half foot these stems long. But, you know, <laughs> like, it's pretty cool. Like, they're like, oh no, you were, sorry, I'm jumping between measurements here. But they're like, you know, you're 131 millimeters and that's just perfect. Not 130. And I thought that was kind of cool. Maybe it's just a head game thing to make people feel like they're better prepared than, than otherwise they could be. I've always thought it was, a, was quite a cool approach. Mm-hmm. Henry, I was watching uh, coverage from the tour down under mm-hmm. this morning. There was a stem. I was watching a bike check. The stem was 150 millimeters long Dude, still. God. What the shit are you guys <laughs> doing? Point, like, what, don't. Yeah, at what point <laughs> the stems get so long that you end up having to work on your bike in a dry dock just to fit it in? I mean, <laughs> well to be fair i think it was a four foot nine inch tall colombian so i think it was a pretty small bike to begin with but like shouldn't the shouldn't the reach be longer and stem was, be shorter like they don't need 50 mil stems Stanley, but like you have a real long stem and there's the other australian rider maybe it's not alan hansen he's the footballer but someone that sounds like alan hansen and he used to have like 190 mil cranks and he basically had a wild bike set he used to ride a lot of sudal i think and yeah, you'd have like, yeah, 100 and, a 300 mil stem, you know, something crazy. It's so big. And then be like, but it just happens an XL frame fits me best. It's like, you're six foot two, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of things that are too long, our next question, this is from JW Denver. More importantly, what the actual F happened to the new Grim Donut? It doesn't take years to make a video about version two of the new bike. What happened? Well, JW Denver. It can take two years to make a video about your bike, <laughs> and I proved you wrong. So there you go. <laughs> it's coming. It is actually in the editing bay right now. I just recorded some more voiceover you know, like 20 minutes ago. I, I love ago. this because you did so well to create this huge wave of momentum. And then you sat in your car on the beachhead. You watched that wave pass, and you got back in the water once the seeds were come. I, I yeah. love your work, Levy. It's really, really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say there definitely won't be a third version of the bike once we get this one all done with uh yeah but that's gonna happen soon there jw denver so today's episode of the pink bike podcast is brought to you by trail forks and i am not even joking about that it's 11 p.m right now and i would literally still be out in the forest if casimir had made me download this app about a year ago what's that yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah i'll say that too yeah yeah 
I'm also supposed to say that Trail Forks is not responsible for getting your lost ass out of the woods. You got to call the appropriate people for that kind of help. But it sure is handy for when you think you're supposed to turn left, but you most definitely need to turn right. And there's over 530,000 trails on it from pretty much everywhere. Can you imagine how big your paper map would have to be to have all those trails on it? Huge! The best part? The free version of Trail Forks gives you a local map of your area, so you don't even need to pay anything. What's that? Yeah, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll say that too. I'm also supposed to say that you can buy the pro version to unlock all the features for $2.49 a month when you combine it with an Outside Plus membership. Let's move on to talking about old bikes though, instead of new bikes. Guys, I don't think there's any doubt that a modern bike is better than one from a decade ago in pretty much every single way. They obviously handle a thousand times better on the downhills, but they also handle way better on the climbs, which is crazy thanks to modern geometry. They're also way more reliable with a few exceptions here and there. Uh, they shift better, they brake better, they suspension better. They also even make us look better when we ride the damn things. But that doesn't mean that we can't look back fondly, maybe with some rose-tinted glasses on, and maybe there's a few things that were better about bikes in the past that we shouldn't forget. Henry, I'm going to start with you. What do you, what do you reminisce about fondly? Do you know what was really great? And maybe not talking about the extent of performance increase, which I, you know, I'm not going to go into how we'd even measure it. But wasn't it nice that when you could go between 142 and 135, like the Hope Hubs, and you could just go any, any axle, any width, you know, just bam, 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 and it all just worked. Yeah. I still, I remember people complaining about 142 back then, though, too, just like people complain about things now. Yeah, but at least you could go from 135 to 142 on the same hub. Yeah. The brake spacing was the same. I mean, it was kind of pointless. Yeah, that's true. Because the, the, the difference between the spokes. That's you know, that's a really important bit, given that the, you know separating the flanges. So it's kind of silly this one four two thing, which basically just added more end cap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's funny because the I heard that because Specialized did that system where they actually maximized their end caps, and so when they went to boost spacing, it was only like the flanges were only like half a mil or a mil wider, <laughs> because yeah. we go to boost and then we're like, oh, we need all this we need to maximize the distance for a better and more evenly tensioned wheel. And then what do we do? We put 15 mil of end cap either side. <laughs> <laughs> they also, they also did the downhill bike, the demo with 135 millimeter wide. Yeah, clear, exactly. yeah, exactly. More clearance. I don't know what year that was, but that I was when, say uh, that, yeah. Didn't it was that... when Brendan Faircloth and Sam Hill were both riding flat pedals on it. So that'd be yeah. like 2010. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 2010 around there. I yeah, it's like a black and red. The hub flanges were spaced quite wide, though, too. Like, mm. you had hub flanges spaced at like 140, whatever, like equivalent, but a skinny rear end, which was pretty clever. Yeah. Do you miss quick release? Me? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult. No, basically. Do you know what I quite liked? I quite liked the, the ugliest shit that the axles. That have the quick release thing because now we seem to have gone to Allen keys all round. Yeah, but actually it was quite nice having you know you'd have that maxle and the second time you'd use it you put up the torque and the cuff would just shear <laughs> off 
I was just like, going to wow. say, how <laughs> long did your first yeah. Maxa lasted? <laughs> <laughs> Remember the yeah. ones on the old Marzokis? Uh, the Marzokis that had the little flip down thing? Like they had like the through oh, axle yeah. and then had like the little flip down feet that kind of opened up and you had to, it was like a double or triple quick release, I guess. Cause you had one on each side yeah. of the fork and then you had the other, that was different. I don't miss that, but I just remember it. Bottom of the super T and the mm-hmm. junior T yeah. and junior T. I had a junior T. That was tea. a pain was... in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of silly. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay. Kaz, what about you? You know, I was trying to think, and I really like every almost everything that's going on with modern bikes, and even though there's things we complain about, but then I realized I do miss bike videos. It's not related to tech, but because... Oh, that's good. Because there's, yeah, like this video, or yesterday, there was some, um, some must-watch video. It was like a three-minute long thing of Paul... Uh, I don't even know how he says his last name. Do you? Paul Corderick? I should know this. But anyways, the guy does crazy stuff. He does like one-legged backflips and things. It's nuts. But it's only three minutes long, and everyone's going to forget about it and like another two weeks and I'm like, Oh, I think I saw something cool, but I can't remember it. And so I think the videos and another thing that inspired me to think of this is because I was riding with someone like a Grom. So this person's, I think they're 16 years old and they don't know who Greg Menar is. And this person that I was riding with in, yeah, in a few years from now, they're going to be world cup. They'll be one of the fastest world cup racers soon, like guaranteed, but they don't know anything about mountain bike history at all. And so without videos, I don't know how you learn. Yeah, but I bet Harry Styles doesn't know who Gary Newman is. You know, it's like no, yeah, yeah. that's just how it is. This movie. I know. <laughs> it's, it's like, is that a mountain biker? Harry Styles. I don't know <laughs> he's Harry a new mountain Styles biker. He's got. I, <laughs> I know that he's important he's a... to all the women in my life. <laughs> yeah, and he, he's it. a YouTuber. Lady. He's <laughs> an important, important YouTuber. To you, Henry. <laughs> it's like it's like him and Timothy Chalamet. I don't know anything about him. I I know he's an actor, but to to women, he's a big deal, and I've just got to accept that. Yeah, you know. We've talked about videos before. I think it's actually pronounced Timothy Shimley. I think so. <laughs> I miss the days, Kaz, when like a video would come out. Like you would know this video was coming out two months ahead of time, and then when it came out, you would have like a big party and you would have it on loop in the bike store for three months nonstop. And you're right, now stuff comes out. I know the riding is better and everything is better about it, but I mean, we say this all the time, like these, these edits now, they just seem so forgettable. And I, that's not to take away from the riding, but I think it's just because there's so many of them. Sorry to just jump in there, but do you not think that's the nature of the internet that we've created this like auto cannibalistic beast that happily just eats itself, which yeah. sounds like a bad thing. But Levy, when you put out as many bad videos as I do, it's blessed relief <laughs> that they're eating up. You know what I mean? Like you just fucking, you just feed the machine. You're the processed meat for a week and you're fucking sausage rolls through the digestive tract and shut out the other end to be eaten all over again. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, I would, <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Um, I'm going to go to one thing. One thing that I miss the bikes back in the day, they used to be like really agricultural, like tractory. And I don't, I don't necessarily like that. But what I like about that is that like, I remember Kaz, in my freaking bedroom, I had a saw and a hammer. That's where I worked on my bikes. In my bedroom with a saw yeah, and a hammer. But this is because like, you were riding an I orange. Remember, like, <laughs> okay, that's true. But all the bikes back then, like I remember sawing off chain guide mounts and like bolts were like massive steel heavy things that like I could not round out these bolts, no matter if I use like an Allen key three sizes too too small. 
holding it on a 30 degree angle. But now everything uses like super nice proprietary aluminum hardware and everything is like, you can't just like mess around with stuff anymore, you know? And I would much prefer that, but I, I definitely, you know what it meant? It meant that you could like, I would zip tie a brake line to the outside of my frame and just go riding. Like I just wouldn't care. Who cares? Like my bike is a tractor that's falling apart anyway. It's a KHS dominatrix with a blow and Romic shock. Like who cares? <laughs> Whereas now things are so freaking dialed that like I would never dream of doing that. You know, it's got to be done right. So I'm basically what I'm saying is I miss the days when bikes were so rough that it didn't need to be done right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's easier to mess things up quicker today. If you go in like ham-fisted, yeah. you can make a bigger mess. Then back in the day, you had more room for error because they were already kind of like rough around the edges. I think that's fair. I don't really miss Maybe. that either. Yeah. But like, yeah. If you miss that experience, just ride e-bikes. They've got fucking <laughs> no, wires everywhere. They sound, <laughs> you know, they sound like fucking gravel to a lawnmower. It's great. <laughs> no no yeah, but they, no, i mean I'm to be good, they're but... they're getting they're changing too but it does remind you like of how things used to be that's almost like e-bikes could be your throwback on some of them the ones that haven't like evolved yet you look down you're like we're back in whatever year you're missing except for the moment. yeah yeah like flipping your bike upside down to drain the water out of the fork <laughs> so it wouldn't be hydro locked the next day like those were good times man <laughs> yeah i like the smell of when you dump like two quarts of monster tea oil into the bucket there's just nothing in there except yeah, a spring exactly. and like yeah. it's just black with like specks of silver <laughs> mm-hmm. uh henry give me another one what what do you, you know miss? this one is gonna be okay so you know how you like uneducated uneducated hot takes i'm gonna give yeah. you one right here <laughs> i feel right. that hmm okay so i think the dwr coating they put on rain jackets I don't think it's necessarily good for the environment when it washes off, et cetera, et cetera. But it used to feel like it was hardier and rain jackets would stay waterproof for longer. I don't know if that necessarily means that it was worse for the environment, but it feels like rain jackets now, you used to be able to get one that would like scrunch up to the size of an apple and really like lightweight and it would actually like shed a bit of water. But now it feels like rain jackets have got worse. I don't know if that's just me. Do you think you're maybe just not as tough? There's that probably too. And also I live somewhere which is basically like fucking Atlantis. It rains so much. <laughs> yeah. You might just be somewhere with but more you know rain. What I mean? Like, am I going? But, yeah. yeah. I don't, they, they have switched to, they did switch to a new DWR coating in the last few years. Cause the other one did kill dolphins or something. So it could be, it could be mm, something. Like I know. Yeah. I used to have like a, like a Endura raincoat, like the emergency rain shell that, yeah, it did that like packed up super small. And I do agree that there's not enough like, lightweight raincoats yeah. that can just shove in your pocket that don't yeah, cost I mean, $600. How, how are the $600 jackets? I mean, someone's got to do it. Hey, Kaz, you poor bugger. How'd you get through them? <laughs> yeah, I have some. Yeah. Some of them are nice, but I still just end up just usually bringing a windbreaker with me because it's so mm. like warm out. And, yeah. Yeah. Once you get moving and working, I find yeah, like you never don't stop. need a $400 jacket, you know? So what we're saying is that a black flag t-shirt with holes in the armpits is basically as effective as a $500 wrapper jacket. Dudes, I remember I wore the same like holy rancid <laughs> t-shirt. It, it came holy though, right? And I, it probably did, yeah. I had a 243 hardtail and I would wear this black rancid t-shirt and black roach shorts and I think some like skating yes. pads and I think when it rained I wore a I, hoodie. 
And now it's like, it'll get down to like three Celsius and it like looks like it's going to rain. I'm like, now nah, I'll wait to April to go riding. I love the idea of you cutting up cinematic reels of tape to make the <laughs> ultimate shredder to Maxwell murders. This is going to be fucking so Wait till that, wait till that bass kicks in, lads. Oh. That's what we're using in the new Grim Donut video. That, that would be amazing. Oh, please. I hope so. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I miss is old drivetrains. But you have to hear me out. New drivetrains are better in every single way. We know this. But they're also definitely more finicky. Kaz, do you remember the 8-speed XT shifter? Oh, yeah. It's so solid. I do. 8-speed XT is very good. Yeah. Yes. And it didn't matter if that thing was covered in sand, covered in mud. It just did the thing. I grant you, of course, it was way more fragile and like in, in all sorts of other ways. But nowadays, it seems like generally they're more reliable, but they're also a little more finicky. Like when you do get sand in your narrow wide chain or narrow wide chain, your narrow wide drivetrain in your pulley wheels, in your chain ring and all that stuff, like it feels like stuff just gets grittier and shittier quickly. Am I wrong? I don't know. I ride in some super nasty conditions. I don't really have any issues, but I do, I do like the old days where it just felt like there was a mile between each gear. So you could just be like, clunk, clunk, clunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is something about that, but again, I wouldn't give up the range that we have now. Like it is nice to be able to no. go up some like nasty fire roads without standing up the entire way. What about when you got that sort of, when you got the aftermarket, say 30 tooth narrow wide chain ring, which only just made it over the one Oh four, um, bcd or pcd whatever it is of your cranks and you had 10 speed z with a 36 on and the thing was the cassette was made of like dwarven steel it was like it was they would be so tough and now like they were made of like soft cheese with like the biggest gears also the softest gear which doesn't really make any sense to me and you could just ride and ride and ride and ride and ride and ride and just have chronic knee pain afterwards and then ride some more (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everybody's cadence was about half the speed and our cassettes lasted way longer they have to be soft now though because they're so big if they made them out of steel like look at an nx cassette it weighs like eight pounds you know i'm too good for that we're all too good for that you should have aluminum cassettes on your bike right if we know one thing about the consumer base of mountain biking though it's that they want something heavy they want something reliable and they'll definitely then not go and buy the light thing you know like those like those that e-bike hyper something the 11 speed drivetrain came out which weighs like 700 kilograms for a drivetrain but it will go forever and no one buys it they'll they'll talk about it on the internet but they won't actually go and buy it because they want they want the xt chain that doesn't weigh the same as you know a redline robin yeah i i i didn't we didn't one of us write an article a while back about how e-bikes are driving mountain bike reliability like how some people should just use e-bike components and i feel like everybody got quite upset about that but it makes a lot of sense like use an e-bike drivetrain Kaz. yeah well i think what happened was there's e-bike drivetrains and then they kind of stopped using e-bike drivetrains on e-bikes i feel like it was like oh, there's oh. this big push to make things burly and strong and then all of a sudden companies like oh we need to make our e-bikes lighter let's just put the normal stuff on but there i do think like henry's mentioned that link glide which it wasn't really available either has been the issue. Like Shimano came out with this thing that seems amazing if you didn't mind weight, but then nobody could get it. 
And I think just now it might be available, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but yeah, there's something to be said for like an 11 speed drivetrain that should last forever. That'd be nice. But do you not think that if instead of using the moniker e-bike, they called it like cool guy or like tough, <laughs> tough man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just said, Oh no, e-bike happens to use the cool guy greater parts and would be great. But yeah, the e-bike thing, like I had my friend who works for a, a couple of years ago, he was a quite a big tire manufacturer. And he was saying in some European markets, they will not buy the tires unless they say e-bike compatible on. If they just started putting them in the hot batch, e-bike compatible, they changed nothing and the tires started selling. So yeah. it's like a double-edged sword, I think, to the to us, the people that really kind of passionate and kind of immersed in mountain biking. We did like the e-bike things. It's a good part. You know, we can kind of work, we can understand that if there's a chain that weighs three times as much, it's probably offering something different. But there's also the beginner who needs it painted out and be like, are these shoes e-bike compatible? Please. Mm-hmm. They're not? Like, oh, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> but yeah, I agree. There's need to be, yeah, I think cool guy, tough guy components is the thing. <laughs> yeah, but there, there are e-bikers that look at, you know, this isn't necessarily criticism, but it is quite funny. That, you know, people that have allergies and they look at the back of ingredients, make sure it hasn't got any peanuts in. The people that do the opposite to make sure that it's got e-bike written on stuff, like, oh my God, and the helmet, that's, that's compatible too? Like, yes. Fine. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, it's like uh, when everything with Enduro started, everything had to be like Enduro ready, Enduro compatible, <laughs> and it's just a whole marketing spiel for a while. Remember, everything was blue and like Enduro ready. Now, yeah. It's, yeah. luckily, that's done. But yeah, it's pretty silly trends. Did you guys ever use travel adjust forks? Did either either of you have a U-turn mm. fork? I had the, a couple of two-stage RockShox forks, like the it's been the two-stage Pike maybe when it came out when it was the Air one. And yeah. we're always like, obviously they're good, but also it's not like your saddle adjusts angle. So you kind of just end up like kind of having a really low front end and then just sort of like, you know, castrating yourself on the clock. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Kaz? Yeah, I had like a dual position lyric, I think. I was trying to remember what year I reviewed that. That might've been one of my earlier pink bike reviews in like 2011, but I never had the U-turn, like the dial adjust pike U-turn. I never had that. And I'm with Henry. I never, I don't like fork changing position for, cause for climbing it just feels for me, it always feels like the bike gets slower when you lower the travel and you climb. It's what is with that? Thing. I don't know. It's strange. There's some science behind it, but I just never got along with it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Like I've had, I had a U-turn silo. Do you remember those? And you'd pull the mm-hmm. little, uh, quick release axle through axle thing out and spin it around. Um, but yeah, when you lower the fork, it feels like it gets harder to pedal. So I would never, ever lower the fork. And I know like nowadays it would be, it might be neat to play with to like Seb suggested, like fine tuning how the bike handles. But no, I would never slam a fork. I'm not, I just want my bike to handle. A friend of mine used to put a toe strap between the crowns to crank them down for long times. Mm. And we no. always thought it was a great idea. That's such a hack. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor man's travel adjust. <laughs> Reef on it. And <laughs> it's like uh, the Moto Startgate device. Keeps your fork stuck down in its travel, so you get a whole shot. Mm-hmm. Whole shot device. More e-bike terminology there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looking at Seb's list, I some of the things, I, like, I don't miss travel adjust forks like he put on there, but he did have two interesting ones. There's that the derailleur guard that he mentioned 
he put a picture of a crazy carbon fiber thing that was in all up here. I don't remember that, but that looked fancy. But do you guys ever have the specialized that had the little little extra bit that went over the the derailleur? It was like a pretty low profile no. guard over the bolt on. It's like where it bolted on. I think it came on enduros and maybe stump jumpers. Oh, it came on like, a demo. Like it bolted into yeah, the, the demo the, the mounting yeah. hole. So mm-hmm. good. Yeah, yeah. It was the ultimate. Remember those those mechs would unwind as well. Mm-hmm. So to keep it in. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a safety feature, but it actually worked, and they no one else really copied it. But Specialized had that for a number of years. I always thought that was clever. Um, and then the other thing that Seb mentioned was uh, bash guards and skid plates, and like there are those obviously obviously still exist, but there aren't that many bikes that come with a full like under skid plate anymore. Which unless it's like a full on, um, I don't know, like a free ride bike, which I think those are they don't weigh yeah. that much, and it's kind of nice to not toast your chainring if you hit something. Okay, so here's a question. I know that this would increase the risk of hitting your bash guard, but have you ever thought they could just put um, ICG tabs on both sides? And then you would have, like, less deflection pedal strikes so you could land on stuff square instead of stuff like catching and twisting. Do you see what I mean? How would that? I'm trying to picture. What would it look like? Like, I'm just talking about the one that bolts on. on the non-drive side. Oh, yeah, but imagine if on the non-drive side you had ICG tabs, so you could put a bash guide on stuff, uh-huh. so you could probably. Because yeah. I always think it's really strange that like, we're like, oh, um, the, I know, I, I guess I just worry how much load you're putting through one side of the frame if you did properly knuckle right. something, it might be good to spread it out. Yeah, you could just full on a bottom bracket case. Yeah, <laughs> Henry's case feature. You could just like yeah, you could... sprocket stall, like <laughs> just like smash into <laughs> things because it would just be on both sides. Yeah, I never thought of that. Maybe yeah. we should make something. But April I don't know Fools. if it would make it worse because then you'd, you'd hit it more often anyway. Yeah. But I know. That'd be um, yeah, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong, but also I think it'd be fun. Where, yeah, where I like the idea of it. you guys wrecked a chain or a chain ring from a rock strike like that? No, I mean like, yeah. I always lose the teeth pretty early on because I just graze stuff. Mm. But nothing like yeah. that. Yeah, it's been a while. Like, that's but in Fort William, we were smoking crankshafts, man. Holy shit. Just so many so 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 many and they had you know even sometimes you had like bash guards on and you would still just smoke them yeah i can see that but yeah i think it's one of those little things like i don't i don't miss all the pulleys like remember it used to be like the the double sandwich chain guide with the dual pulleys and things those were silly but i think it's kind of nice to have like a little the lower skid plate is handy yeah but there were some chain guides that would sometimes stop your chain falling off but always make it impossible to get back on <laughs> how do you yeah. chain find the room to come off yeah there's wow. like amazing like a millimeter gap i have to get it back on are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. this is so twisted yeah it's so oh man yeah i got some nightmare stories with chain guides like back those old mrp chain guides where the inner plate was stationary and the outer plate was mounted on your crank well, of course, your bottom bracket spindle mm. was bent like ten minutes after you started riding, or your your chain your chain uh, <laughs> sorry your crank tabs were bent, and so things just rubbed and ah nasty. Yeah, I think I think the you know lots of things change around in biking. It's all about ten years ago, but one by drive trains, so narrow wide chain rings, and the Rockshox Pike have did so much good work. They had a couple of years of making really really important stuff. And going away from, you know, you could just have an upper, an upper guide. Like having that, that lower guide used to just do my nuts and I used to hate it so much. And now we're so lucky that we've got, you can have an upper guide in the bash and be actually pretty well taken care of. Yeah, it's nice. 
Do you guys remember when some people, including myself, would run a chain guide with the front derailleur and the chain guide was designed to work with the front derailleur? You guys remember those? Mm-hmm. I had that one. That was on my bike. It would have been like a maybe a transition blind side or something. Yeah, I had the MRP one because they made yeah, a black yeah. outer metal plate and you could shift. I feel like I had it on multiple bikes because I needed that front derailleur. Just don't pedal backwards. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> well, you it had it stepped, the, like the have- pulley had two spots on it. It was like a little groove yeah. so you could shift. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever see it when I used to have some friends at the well, EWS enduro races and they would have like a 34, 36 narrow wide and then have on a double crank set and then have another chain ring and at liaisons, like just put their foot in the drivetrain mm-hmm. and just drive it off yep. and into the, the you know tiny gear to spin up, which actually wasn't a bad idea to be fair. Like if you've got like an hour long climb, like why not? Yeah, yeah I think that makes all the yeah, sense in the world. Yeah, Tracy Mosley might have done that. I remember seeing that. And then there was like Francois Bailey Maitre. He ran the front derailleur way past when anyone else had front derailleurs. He was holding on strong. I think Shimano was paying him to keep running front yeah, derailleurs. Yeah, I remember Greg Callahan. I remember Greg Callahan was on that those cubes, which if that wasn't enough of a rod for your own back, you also had DI2 on. And this is in like 2016, 2017 with the double, mm-hmm. probably even a triple at that point, let's I'm face it. Well, I've got 33 gears, like, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> but it was one that, cause then, and then, so, cause he came to Queenstown and obviously he's like, you know, he's, I've met him since and he's just such a lovely guy, but he was like the guy, like in a big time cube pro in town, you know, everyone's looking at his bike, but also people were looking at his bike because it was like a 150 mil travel bike with like a double on with like the latest and greatest Shimano. And then he put a Fox 40 on the front and it was so many layers of horrible. <laughs> It was it was it was fantastic, you know. Like the DI two stuff worked really well. I mean, it works amazingly, but I think that double system was ambitious to say the least. Yeah, yeah especially there, especially there. Hey, let's let's wrap this up by choosing the one thing that we definitely don't miss. And you guys reminded me, it's freaking front derailers. Never again, Kaz. What do you not miss? Uh, yeah, I don't miss that. Um, what else? No, this is a hard one. I'm gonna I'll go with tubes since we I mean it's things we've already said, but you can have front door hours. I'll take I don't miss yeah. tubes. Yeah. Henry? Um I don't miss really narrow bars. Like but people be like you'd be like six eight fives and that was like considered ample. Like I love I think dimensionally bikes just fit us so much better now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, everybody, that's it for this podcast. Bikes are way better these days. But what do you miss about your mountain bike from 2003? Uh, Aside from the price tags, what were companies doing better 10 or even 20 years ago, if anything? Post it down in the comment section below and remember to give this podcast a like or a share, a thumbs up or something. Maybe even check us out on YouTube now. There's going to be some clips there. So go to YouTube to give us a listen and we'll see you next episode.